Hello, everybody. We are here with our fourth episode of Calling All Halos. I'm actually joined live and in person with Connor Gross, but today we're in New York. Hello, Connor. Live pod. I know. Hello. Where's our audience? Yes. Well, we have a studio audience. We've asked them to be quiet, but once this ends, they're going to erupt in a loud cheer. Um, Next time we'll sell tickets. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're starting this podcast now. It is um, just about two hours since the Angels lost their third game of a four-game series to the Red Sox in Boston. As I mentioned, not in Boston, but um, watch the game. I've watched this weekend. It's been an ugly weekend. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's kind of been an ugly uh, little run here for the Angels, uh, who are now below 500 for the first time since the first game of the season. Uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a recap of, of this week and some of the mistakes that I think we're going to go over for the rest of this podcast, uh, we'll start with Monday. Uh, you know, there were two plays by Brandon Drury. You know, neither were errors, uh, but one where you know he t- attempted to turn a three-six-three double play with a really fast runner, which allowed a run to score. And then again, when um, he wasn't necessarily looking down uh, at home and Dominic Smith was able to score from second on a double play that didn't end up getting turned. So that, that kind of cost them two runs and a two-run loss there on Monday. Uh, and then on Friday, there were several errors. Rendon had two errors. Renjifo had an error that cost them several runs. On Saturday, there were two catchers' interferences by Matt Theis, the backup catcher. And then today they had two two innings end with runners in scoring position on outs on the base paths. Um, that you know, it's just these are things that if they happen once here and there, you don't really think twice about it because it's just part of baseball. But I think when you start to see a pattern, it becomes way more concerning. What are your what's your takeaway from this this whole little bit of a mess here, Connor? Yeah, totally. I think when you look at the numbers in the aggregate, and again, we're only you know a handful of games into the season, so. You know, the sample size is admittedly small, but the season has started and they've played, you know, two and a half weeks of games. And through those two and a half weeks, if you look at the numbers on offense, their OPS is middle of the road. It's 16th in the game. 18 home runs this season. That's almost top 10. They rank 11. Um, and then on the pitching side, uh, starting rotation ERA and their reliever ERA, both top 10 in baseball. So when you look at those in the aggregate, you think, well, the Angels have... The makings in place to be right around a top 10 team and then you look and they don't even have a winning record so you know as good as those very important facets of their team can be it's just kind of a reminder that games are won and lost on the margins on the base pass close plays in the late innings that you know clank off a glove or a pickoff play that's not made or made too late or there's just these little little plays decide games, game of inches, all the cliches yep. all apply here. Because in the aggregate, the team looks pretty def- pretty decent, but um, it's just not really reflected. Like, their record right now is 7-8, and eight, but based on their run differential, their expected win-loss is 9-6. and six. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's—listen, I think when you look at it, you can look at that two different ways. One is—it's is, um, really concerning— that they should be doing better, that these mistakes are costing them games that, you know, listen, when you don't win year after year, you're not, you know, you can't really afford to lose these games. I think that's pretty pretty fair statement to make. Um, at the same time, I would also say that there's probably some optimism you could take from those stats and say, well, listen, there's, you know, they're, they're good enough. They've kind of shown that, you know, they have a good roster that, had, that can produce, that 
you know that expected over that expected win loss over the course of 162 games will probably even itself out to some extent in that these mistakes that we're watching night after night that feel like you know the end of the world in a lot of ways which i hear from fans constantly where it does feel, you know you know take a step back and maybe recognize that okay this is not as bad as it feels not as bad as it seems that they can even this out a little bit at the same time i mean there has to there has to be responsibility and accountability when these mistakes are made you know the other night phil nevin said that they were uncharacteristic um on it was on friday night when they made those errors and listen I would say to Phil, like, and I would say to Nevin, like, you know, they're becoming characteristic. You don't want that. Like, that's what it feels like. Um, you know, even today after the game, I saw, and like I mentioned, not there, but, you know, I saw that he, you know, kind of was defensive when asked about uh, Brett Phillips, you know, getting picked off second and said it wasn't a mental mistake and that he's kind of slid into his leg. And that might be true. And, and you know, but I think when you start, when you kind of deny that these are issues happening over and over again, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't help the problem. Um, and listen, I mean, at the end of the day, whether or not it's fair, these things will fall on the manager because right. it's your job to prepare your team. It's your job to look like a team that is prepared. And, you know, not every, people might overreact to certain things once in a while, but at the end of the day, this team doesn't look that prepared. They don't look like they're really capable of putting together a clean night innings. And, and we, we had a podcast this time last week about the bullpen, and you just don't want it to feel like every week that there is something else that's kind of plaguing you. Um, you know, you want to be able to, right. like you mentioned, when you, you know, it feels like one day it's the bullpen, the next day it's the mental mistakes, the end, then where's the offense today? You know, I think you just, uh, this team has put together good numbers, so there is a good team in there, but it's just not playing out right now. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds It sounds like, you know, every day, spin the wheel, what facet of the team is not going to show up, what's going to keep them from winning. Um, and it just, yeah, it seems like most games there's just something that prevents them from winning. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't, you know, it, it to me, it's like, I don't necessarily know who to put, put blame on. You know, is it the right. person, is it the uh, person who makes them? I mean, listen, I, am I going to sit here and tell you that uh, it's Phil Nevin's fault or Perry Manazian's fault that Anthony Rendon made two terrible throws on Friday night? No, that's on Anthony Rendon. Right. But it is, to some extent, you know, I listen, I think a lot of people could have looked at this team and said, is this defense, middle infield in particular, you know, the infield defense, they put together a good offensive infield I think but that the question was going to be the defense I think always something people you know you could have looked at this roster and, and had that question mark mm-hmm. um they did not have a, a, a clear-cut shortstop coming in and so you look at this move they made for Zach Nato to bring him up for his major league debut which is I think a really cool move I think a good move but mm-hmm. you know drafted just last year drafted listen I yeah where was he playing a year ago you tell me Campbell University we know where Campbell University is I asked Connor this before we, we, we logged on I'm gonna see if he can remember the city Answer: I cannot remember. Bowie's Creek. Bowie's Creek. Yes. <laughs> not not uh, not Anaheim. No, not Anaheim. This is where you know he's playing in college baseball, which is like not even like a big conference in college baseball. So he's really jumped up a massive level. And look, I mean, it's not like he looked bad. He hasn't gotten a hit yet, but he made some hard contact. You know, defenses looked fine. It's not like he looks at. He does not look out of place. I'll put it that way. Um, but it also it's like it's a move that you know. When did it, you have to look at when, I think it's a good move, I think it's a cool move, like I said, right. but you also look at when did this move get made, right after the defense completely effed up mm-hmm. on Friday night, and you, the, you know, they basically on a red-eye him up to, uh, you know, from Alabama to Boston. It's like, it reeks of... Reactionary move? <laughs> reactionary, desperation move. It just does, and I, li- I, like, and like you, I like the move, I actually think it makes him a better team because David Fletcher is just not cutting it right now, you know. Right. And really, it's just like his role is so diminished to the point where it's like, why even, you know, have this guy on the roster if he's not going to play? And he's, 
you know, cannot get into an offensive rhythm in any way, and a guy like him probably needs that. And So I, I liked the move, but I also look at the timing of it, and I'm, I'm like, listen, I mean, they're desperate to win games, and I get that, um, you know, you just don't want to start that clock too early, and, 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 it's a, and I wrote yesterday on The Athletic that it's a bell you can't unring um, when right. you, uh, you know, when you bring a guy up like that, and, you know, I'm not sure if it's just narrative or if it's fact, but look at a guy like Joe Adele. I mean, he got brought up really quickly, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was just not he was not ready for it, and, and it has not gone well ever since. And I don't know if that's any correlation, but it just, you know, even yeah. Phil Nevin talked about how he thought Joe Adele was rushed up. He's talked about that, and, and now they're doing this with, with Zach Nato. You know, I don't know. Totally. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword because as badly as fans and even players want these young, hot prospects to get called up, to your point about you, you can't unring that bell, like, there's definite damage you can do to a guy's psyche calling him up when he's, you know, not prepared to succeed at the major league level because that's what these guys have been working for their whole life. And if they get that taste of major league baseball and it doesn't go their way, like, the battle has begun to, like, prove to yourself that you can, you know, get to that top level and succeed. And, you know, for Joe Adele, it's been a struggle. We're going to see what happens with, uh, you know, this new infielder the Angels have called up. Um, I don't know, but I just think there's definitely double-edged sword to calling a guy up. And especially when it seems as reactionary as this move does, like, no GM, no team wants to feel like they're cornered into any roster move, but especially one that involves, like, a hotshot young player. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, we were just talking about before we got on about, like, um, you know, Brett Beatty with the Mets, and, like, that's a more of a unique situation where, you know, he's was having a ridiculous start at the minor leagues, and Neto was doing that as well, mm-hmm. but also, you know, Escobar from the Mets on third base was doing poorly, and, and I just think, like, you know, these things tend to build up a little bit. Like, you know, you, you see what they can do over a longer period of time. You right. maybe have, like, a you give the player some heads up, like, you know, or, or it's just, it feels like it'd be more coordinated. You make sure they're ready, and you don't necessarily just say, crap, like, right. our shortstop <laughs> just, like, completely flubbed the ball yesterday. We need to have a real shortstop here. And then you look at who's on their 40-man roster, and I think this plays into it, too. You know, Levon Soto is hitting 149 in AAA. Andrew Velasquez, like, he was hitting, like, 177. And so those guys, you, know, you just can't, you can't put them right. on the roster. They're not, they're on the 40 man, but you can't put them on the active roster with how they're hitting. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's part of it is, is, Hey, like we like this guy. Part of it is who else? There's not really other, there's not really other options that are right. viable right now. There's also an element I think of from Perry and management perspective of kind of admitting defeat. Cause it was just three, four weeks ago. They were all in Arizona evaluating like, what is the best roster we can put on the field? Yep. And they decided it was a roster Without uh, NATO. Yeah. NATO? NATO. NATO. I'm honestly NATO. still not sure, but I'm pretty sure. I've been saying NATO, but like now you that I've what? said it, We're it's NATO. We're going to call him Zach. Zach, yeah. yeah. Zach. A roster <laughs> without Zach on it, they decided was their best roster. And now here we are on April 16th, and it's, oh crap, maybe we were wrong. Because we're not at the point of the season where service time manipulation is coming into play. No, they literally just decided that they made a mistake. And I credit them for acting on it. And saying that, you know, he's going to make our roster better. But it's also admitting they made a mistake. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are roster moves all the time. And I think, you know, you look, you evaluate on the fly. And then you have to, you have to be able to do that. And, in, in a, you know, but at the same time, I mean, like, I was not, a, I mean, I understood and I wrote a story about this as well, about them uh, optioning Andrew Wance the other day, who was, and he's already back up because Ryan Tepereg went on the IL this morning. But, um, you know, Andrew Wance was, that we talked about the bullpen last week. He was the only guy who had 
not allowed to run. He had not allowed to run in the entire spring. He had come off a year where he was his ERA was like 3.2 and his whip was like 1.1. And then they optioned him the other day because, you know, it was basically just a roster crunch situation, you know, and they had to do it. And, and I get it. You know, you didn't want to, um, you know, they wanted to put Griffin Canning and, and have him start and they needed to send somebody down. And, you know, they only really had three optionable pitchers. Jimmy Hergen and Reed Detmers were not going to be sent down. And so you didn't want to have to take someone off the 40, man. And, and there's just like a lot of things that go into it. But right. at the same time, I mean, you know, it's there's a, these moves can feel a little contradictory at times. It's like, what do you decide? Are you doing something because it makes the most sense for the roster? Or are you doing mm-hmm. something because you're doing you're desperate to win games? And now Andrew Wance came back and he had another really good outing today. So it's just, you know, I would keep him on the roster if I were the Angels. I, sure. You know, I recognize that, you know, there are things go, that go beyond with rosters as it relates to service time manipulation, as you talked about, or... Right. You know, uh, who's who has who's optionable or, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, your goal is to win these games that Andrew Wance is, is doing best job of that for it out of anybody in the bullpen right now, in my opinion. So it's it's it keep him on the team. Uh, and, you know, right. with Neto, give him some runway. I mean, you brought him up here to play. I think that's what the plan is. But, you know, it's risky if like, you know, if he if he starts to really struggle and, you know, how do you handle that at this point? You know, he's on your 40 man and he's not going anywhere on that in that respect. And so. Um, you know, how do you kind of handle the situation going forward? And, you know, usually when you call up a prospect, it's the goal is not to send them back down. Um, right. And they, you know, they called up uh, Chase Silseth last year and he's in, you know, he's a triple A right now. He's pitching well, but, you know, these are things that um, they can, they can start to feel reckless if they start to not pay off consistently. So it would be interesting totally. to see how it plays out. Yeah. And just to bring it back to something you brought up a second ago, and, you know, the reason that he was called up in the first place was to kind of shore up the defense a little bit. Um, you know, that discussion in the offseason like did Perry overlook defense or make a trade-off of defense for offense that as a theme catches my eye as someone who follows the Giants closely that's kind of been the MO of Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler when they've been building their roster is not only just in the infield but across you know the entire offense like we want guys that can hit home runs and we'll figure it out when it comes to the field there's a trade-off with every major league player and what they're good at and what they're not but at least with the Giants last year, they finished 81 and 81. Their defense looked horrendous at times. And at what point, you know, I don't know how analytical teams can get where how many runs are we giving away versus how many runs are we getting, you know, at the plate and what's outweighing what. It's, it's just an interesting calculation is all I'm trying to say. And at times it's going to look great when you can outslug a team and win, you know, 13 to 10 or whatever. I mean, at the Phillies last year, you know, they were not, I mean, that was the whole thing was that they were right. not a good defensive team. And then they went to the World Series. I think sometimes with defense, it can feel un- as unimportant because on a play-to-play basis, you're probably going to make most plays. And so you don't always right. think like, you know, is this guy's defense hurting us? And then, But it, like anything with baseball, it's how does it play out over a long term, right? right? Like how does it, you know, because in any one play, you know, Luis Renjifo is probably going to make it, right? But is he a good defensive player? I know he was a gold glove finalist as a utility player last year, but, you know, he was not a good, I mean, any defensive metric you look up just wasn't a good defensive player. So it just, you know, it's like over the long term, he's, you know, is this person going to cost you runs? Yes. Right? Like that's, right. that's, and if you have several guys who might cost you runs, I don't know if it, like Gio Rochelle is a good defensive player, but he's better at third, right? You know, you trust him at third. That's what his defense, he's just, he's, he's, he's the range. If you look at his numbers, you know, he costs you runs when he plays at shortstop over the course of his career. That's been the, that's been the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that the Angels are trying to mix and match it short a little bit too much, and, and I think they probably picked up on that themselves and made this change. 
right. uh, to Zach Neto or just Zach. Um, I've talked to you know I should know this because I've written several stories. I mean like. <laughs> He's a really great exactly. guy. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Future friend of the pod. Yeah, we're hopeful. Hopefully he does not listen to this and is not mad about us. You know, I, I really do think he's going to be a good major league player. Um, and I think that he's probably good enough to play in the major leagues right now. I mean, we've seen him two day, two games, and he's not looked, like I said, you could look at the 0 for 8, and he said a few double plays, but, you know, he doesn't look overmatched at the plate. He does not look overmatched in the field. He looks like a major league player. It'll just be curious to see what it looks like over a week or two weeks and how that all plays out, but... Yeah, I mean, the Angels definitely need to consider defense, probably probably needed to consider defense a little more, and I get it. I mean, this is like, you know, I think they, like, look at what the, the team did last year. You know, they, they only added pitching, really. Mm-hmm. They drafted 20 pitchers in all 20 rounds. You Amazing, know, by the way. Not enough people are talking about that. No, and we're, we're almost two years removed from it, and it's still, and you know, <laughs> some of these guys are probably going to start making their debut. Still, Seth already did, and it's, you know, some of these guys have, you know, moved up through the system pretty well. Some haven't. Um, but... I just think it's like, yeah, I mean, like two years ago, they were like all about the pitching. And then what happened last year? They had like, you know, thousands of at-bats from guys that were below replacement. And so what did they do? They made it all about offense. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, like I, 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 part of me like is still not like so down on this team. Like I've watched these games. I think that they're developing an awful trend of making mistakes. But I'm also not like, I still think that there's a good team here that will probably have a decent year. Because to me, it's like this, I watched last year. This is not last season, to me at least. Last season... Was was they were just not good players on the team. They had some great players, but the rest of the team, you know, outside of uh, the pitching was good. You know, obviously you have Trout, Otani, yada yada. But then they had like six or seven hitters in a night sometimes that just weren't capable of putting together good at bats on a consistent basis. You know, every once in a while, sure you run into stuff, but it just wasn't a good team, and it really cost them. And you know, they went on awful losing streaks, and it was so thin. And I just don't look at the team the same way that this year. So you know, mm-hmm. some. That's why, like, when you read off some of those those bigger picture numbers, I think those are more representative of what you might see over 162 games. Um, you know, there's certain players you're gonna need to see do well. Like Taylor Ward has gone to a little bit of a slump. He's gonna need to get better. Um, you know, he's. I think. I mean, his defense has been electric. I really think he could be an all star. But you know, you need to see him come together with the bat a little bit. Um, you know, Brandon Drury's had a slow start offensively. Uh, so there's just certain guys uh, that you know. I think sure. that needs to get step up a little bit, but it's not a bad team, and I think that they'll right. be better. I think they're not, they're gonna at the very least, you know, I think they'll be at least a 500 team. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. I mean, again, it's like it's laughable to have a conversation like this 15 games into the season. That doesn't mean there's nothing worth talking about. You can only say we'll wait and see for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, the Angels are not gonna go through their remaining, you know. 150 games making these, you know, mindless mistakes all the way through. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it seems like something you need to get on top of now, course correct, before it manifests into, or snowballs into a much larger issue. And, yeah, I think I agree with your assessment. Like, top to bottom, the Angels roster seems like one that's good enough to compete in the playoff race, which is bigger than ever. Um... Yeah, I don't think there's reason for doom and gloom. And you know, there's certain things I think you can do to help. Like, like I said, it's not Phil Nevin's fault when somebody throws the ball, you know, into the stands or whatever. But like, I was watching AJ Hinch talk the other day, manager of the Tigers, after uh, Javi Baez lost. I think he's lost track of outs, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. on the base paths. Yeah. And they pulled him from a game. And then I'm watching what AJ sends after the game. And listen, I don't think any players respects AJ Hinch less because he made the decision to pull Baez, because he made the decision to talk about it. He said, we've been making a lot of mistakes, and I felt like I needed to make a, mo- like make 
almost an example of him. Yeah. So that way there's some accountability. And yeah. and and I'm listen, everybody's going to manage their own way. I think AJ Hinch obviously has a really good track record outside of, you know, the it's the scandal, the cheating scandal, but I mean, right. you know, he's he's won, you know, World Series, so it's, this is a good manager, I think, who's won a lot and and, you know, built up teams from bad to good. And so I, I liked that. I liked that he called him out. Uh, yeah. I think, there, you know, we saw Ollie Marmol do that earlier in the season in a really terrible, untactful way where he just, like, kind of randomly, like, called out um, who's uh, Neil. Uh, and and yeah. I thought that was really poorly done. But there's ways you could do this tactfully. Like, mm-hmm. So from my perspective, like, when I see Phil Nevin after a game talk about, like, as if, like, these things aren't really happening. like What, that's, what things? Exactly, right? Like, and it's, it, you know, I like Phil. And I think he actually, he's, I mean, I see a lot of people angry about him. And I actually think he's a good manager that is keeping people, you know, in a good headspace. I do. But I, I really disagree with, you know, pretending things aren't happening. I, there's a difference between crapping on your players mm-hmm. and, you know, holding them accountable and in a way that is tactful and respectful. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's what I'd like to see. Like if I'm, you know, as someone that, that is asking the questions and wants to feel like I'm getting honest answers, that's one. But I think fans, like, appreciate that too. And I also think that the players learn from that and receive that. And I, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe there's more of that happening behind the scenes. You know, clearly they're making roster moves and sending people down. So that is that is a form of accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's like, you know, just say after the game that we shouldn't do that. Or pull a guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. if they, if they like, like Drury the other day with those two mistakes, like, you know, like, I know him and Brandon go way back, but, you know, you're, you're a manager of a team. Like, you know, say something, right? Like, say we cannot make those mistakes. When because you like, say that he's pretending things aren't happening, are you saying he's not, like, not... Is he refusing to acknowledge that they ever happened, or he's just providing, you know, a reason or an excuse? I think it's more of the latter. Like, yeah. it's just... Yeah, it's like... But I just think sometimes, like, oh, the, un, the mistakes are uncharacteristic, or, like, or like today with, with, with Phillips. Like, yeah, I mean, listen, maybe he got caught, his foot got caught, and the guy's... His hand got, got that did happen, but like, hey, at the end of the day, I mean, this is a results thing. Like, you know, you yeah. cannot. You're Brandon, uh, Brandon, Brandon Phillips. Brett Phillips is on the team, really, in this role. Like, this mm-hmm. is his job, um, and I think that Brett Phillips would tell you the same thing, right? Like, right. I don't think that he's gonna. He's a very accountable guy from everything I've dealt with. Like, you know, dealt with him. I mean, like, I think he would tell you he just can't. He can't let that happen, and so, and it sucks, right? It is a mistake, and it happens, uh, but it's just one of those things. Where it just, you know, I don't know. Like, and Phil also said that he was one that called Drury to steal today. It's a steal, a stolen base, you know, with runners at first and third. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hoppy up, who's been driving runs in like crazy. Two outs. Brandon Drury's probably not going to steal some bases for you this year. Why is he running there? Like, that's like, and, and Nevin took accountability and said that he called it. I saw after the game, uh, you know, but uh, it doesn't make any sense to me, like, why that play would be called to begin with. So, um, you know, to me, it's just like, listen, I think Phil's does a good job. I think that he probably is getting a tougher app right now. If the team starts to win, I'm sure that will change. But, you know, I wrote a whole column about toxic positivity last year, and that's still a good crap for it. But, like, mm-hmm. to me, it's a form of it. It's this, what, this is what I was writing about. It's like when things are going poorly, the way to address them is to address them and to say, like, we can't do that. It shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I think you'll start to see that not start to see a shift a little bit. It's, it's not a— Was it know, any different under Madden? Man, everything was different with Joe. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, I, but, you know, even when they were on that 12-game losing streak— um, mm-hmm. You know, he would always be really upbeat. I think this is, like, a difference between being really upbeat and, you know, saying things are, like, different from what we can all see. And, yeah, I mean, I think that was probably when that losing streak was happening, you know. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you know, when they were in a different position in that moment. Like, they were, at that time, 10 games above 500. Sure. And I think that in that position, you know, as a manager, you're, you're like, you got to try to keep things positive because you're trying to avoid a spiral. Sure. Um, 
You could also point to the scoreboard and be like, "Hey, look, we're doing yeah. pretty okay." Yeah, exactly. Okay and this is not like the like just that has that, that that credibility and that account like just hasn't been built up yet. I don't think. Right. Uh, so I'd like to see. I'd like to just listen. I, I think it's a small thing in the lo- large scheme of everything. And I'm guessing there's probably more conversations happening beyond the scope of what we're hearing and what we're seeing right. and what's being said on a you know Bally sports camera. Um, but uh, do you think players really care though? Do you think if I'm a player in the locker room, not that they're even clued into what Nevin's saying to the media, but like, do you think anyone would even say to you off the record like, hey, like, you know, I wish Nev was more willing to call out so and so for making mistakes. Like, do you think it's something they really care about their manager, you know, publicly? I think I th- listen. Spot. I think the I think the Angels really like Phil Nevin. If I, that's the vibe I've gotten because they like that he's got their backs. And I but my point is that like, does AJ Hinch not have his players' backs? I don't think right. that's the case. I thought that when I heard Ali Marmol, and I'm losing these examples because they were very stark to me. Like when Ali Marmol earlier this year called out O'Neill, to me that was like this is a guy who does not have his players' back right now. Mm-hmm. It was like first week of the year. It seemed like you know this guy was hustling around third, which was why he was pulled. Mm-hmm. You know, it just made no sense to me. Why would you call this guy out <clears throat> in that moment and in that form where he felt like he had to do it publicly? Right. With Hinch, I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know, he's like, this happens. It's part of the game. It's okay. But we're going to nip it in the butt. And I think, like, that's how you handle these things. Sure. And to answer your question, like, I don't, you know, I, I just generally think players like Phil because they have he has their backs. Mm-hmm. He checks in with them every day. He does these certain things. But I would like to see, you know, I... I in a very tactful way, just, you know, like this type of outward accountability that's mm-hmm. public, that people can see publicly. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be punitive. Mm-hmm. It's just ways to handle it that are, you know, a little bit more obvious to the viewers. And I think that, you know, people are angry. Fans get angry because they don't see it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not that you got to appease fans all the time, but they don't see it. And, uh, and it just, it just like, it makes you wonder, like, why am I, why do I care so much if it doesn't look like they care as much as I do? Right. That's just, and I'm not saying they do or don't. I'm just saying if you're like, if you're not seeing it happen, if you're seeing mistakes and you're not seeing people say, "Man, this was an unacceptable mistake," mm-hmm. and too, like, and I'm not saying the players are denying it. Like, you know, I read uh, that you know Matt Dice was like was was really beat up and was holding himself accountable after his two inter- right. catchers interference. You know, we talk about Aaron Loop where he called himself a little bitch. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, trying to think, you know, Jimmy Herget, you know, he also lost a game. Uh, he allowed a couple of runs on like a game against the Blue Jays, and uh, you know, again, really accountable for it. Said he was, said he screwed up. So I'm to not be like, clear, you don't have to call yourself a little bitch to be accountable. No, but but you, de- but it's like not everybody who's accountable is a little bitch, but everyone who says there's a little bitch is accountable. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, but so this, I think there's some nuance to it, and but you know. Listen, it's it's very early in the year. They're seven and eight. Like it's fifteen games. I mean, it's literally not even ten percent through the season yet. I think it's not time to put the panic button on yet. But uh, it's just the way I view it. It's there are things you can do that I think to actually like, like I said, it doesn't come down to Nevin can't stop mistakes from happening. But I think there are things you can do to make them less likely. Sure, I think it also you know what Nevin says and does that does that's kind of like what breeds your team culture and culture is such yep. like an ambiguous, like, you know, gray blob hanging above your team. But uh, I think when you do something like A.J. Hinch did, uh, you know, pull one of your star players from the game, make an example out of him, I think that's kind of what breeds a successful winning culture is to say that we're not going to stand for things that don't lend themselves to winning. And so that's why, at least from my vantage point, I respect the heck out of what he did. And, you know, they interviewed, like, Spencer Torkelson, like the Tigers, you know, star, young first baseman, and he said that he respected the heck out of his manager doing that, basically saying, like, none of us are above 
playing the game the right way, playing the game to win the game. So, yeah, I think when you see something like what Hinch did, it just kind of breeds a winning and, you know, serious culture. Like, we are playing to win this game. We're not playing always to have each other's backs. If having each other's backs means getting in the way of doing the right things to win games. And I think, and I guess my larger point that I'm saying is, like, this is how you have each other's backs. Like, yeah. there's not, there, this, is a, this is a form of it, right? Like, you know, we've worked together for a long time. You know, I've definitely effed up. And people have told me that. And it's just part of it, right? Like, right. you've messed up, you know. I can't recall. No. This is a great story about Connor's getting married in a few months, and he sent out a bunch of wedding invitations with the misspelled names. <laughs> right, which does not reflect well um, on my, you know, future career of wanting to be a copy editor. So, <laughs> yeah. Fact-checking not always been uh, yeah. my forte. But don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Exactly. That's right. what we always Sam, say. Sam, as a journalist, closely yeah. eaten on. <laughs> But, yeah. Speaking of fun facts, Connor, we are going to switch over to the latter part. We like to, you know, mix it up a little bit. We were talking today about the Sacramento Kings and the light up the beam thing that they right. do. Who doesn't want to light up the beam? Light yeah, the this beam. This is a fun little uh, bonus box yeah. at the end of the episode. Um, so the Sacramento Kings, in the playoffs for the first time in, I think, 16 years. I mean, seemingly been a lifetime. There are 15-year-olds roaming the earth who have never seen the Sacramento Kings in the playoffs. Who? They're like, what yeah, team? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sacramento has an NBA team. Um, they don't even know where Sacramento is. Right. Exactly. I don't. I live in yeah, California. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Every time the Kings win a home game, they, quote-unquote, light the beam, which is, I believe, I heard last night, it's like six 1,000-watt purple lasers. They shoot into the sky, and they have a whole, like, you know, LED purple light show that goes on outside the stadium, and it's activated by this big purple button that, you know, the player of the game smashes after a Kings win. Fun fact, Light the Beam was inspired by the Big A outside of the Angel Stadium. We found this out just now. Right, we found this out from reading an athletic story um, so you can go find it yourself. All by, uh, by Hunter Patterson. Right. Hunter Patterson wrote that the president of the Kings was inspired by the Big A, a 230-foot metal structure shaped like the letter A in the parking lot that lights up after every win and said, we need our version of the Big A. And now they're lighting the beam. And I didn't even know about this beam until last night I was watching the Kings. They beat the Warriors, your Warriors, Connor. And it was yeah. awesome. I know you don't agree with me on that, but it was this awesome. And <laughs> oh, then you, cool. and then cool. you saw the light, the beam, and there's like these thousands, of, like the entire city of Sacramento, which is like you know, I don't know, like all of all of them, I guess. Everyone's chanting, yeah. "Light the beam!" It's yeah. a thing. People yeah. know about it. Even out here in New York, people are like, "Oh, they're gonna light the beam!" Yeah, yeah. So it's I'm, like the best gimmick I've ever seen from a small market. And it makes and it makes me think. I mean, imagine if the Angels were ever to get to this point, right? Of right. What that what that would feel like. And I think you see. I mean, listen, the the Kings are. I mean, the Angels have not had as much of a drought as the Kings, but. You know, they ever they have it's been a they won a playoff game since two thousand nine, so we're getting kind of close. I mean, they're pretty similar. Wow. When if they have not they have not uh, uh lit in that I guess lit they've not <laughs> light that baby up since two thousand nine in the playoffs. And so, what will it be like when they do it? I mean, it, you know, you got these are things to dream of if you're an Angels fan. Uh, but watching the Kings do that last night, I thought it was like awesome, man. Yeah, it's like that's the right. best. I think every small market team in every sport should have a gimmick that like the community and the fans can rally around like that. I mean, I said to a friend who I was watching the Kings Warriors game with, I was like, what's the A's version of Light the Beam? 
You know? Yeah. Is it, you know, let's leave the Coliseum before the sewage leaks into the concourse? Like, that's no gimmick that people want to be a it's, part of. It's, leave, it's like, escape the possums. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like, you know, bring out the possums. Like, that's, that's not a gimmick people want to rally around. But, you know, a big purple button you can smash that lights up the arena, like, that's cool. And you call it light the beam. I mean, it's catchy. Uh, yeah. Point being, everyone loves to light the beam. It was inspired by the big A. And, uh, you know, there's your fun fact of the day about the connection between the Sacramento Kings and the Anaheim Angels. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And we, yeah, see, this is how you know Connor's an, as a newbie around here. Right, exactly. We're still teaching him yeah, things. Right. I, it's amazing how many people I hear refer to them as the Anaheim Angels. Like, still. <laughs> <laughs> when I was actually at Sports <laughs> Illustrated, okay, we did a ranking of the top 100 players in baseball. You might be able to guess that a couple of them were ranked pretty highly. And we had the player name, comma, their team. And for both Angels, uh, Mr. Trout and Mr. Otani, we said, player name, comma, Anaheim Angels. This goes back to your copy editing skills. Right, exactly. <laughs> Never been my forte. I refer to them as the Anaheim Angels in our ranking of the top 100 players in baseball. Um, it just, you know, rolls off the tongue, the alliteration, their former name, maybe what should be their current oh, name. Oh, I, I mean, we should do a whole episode on what their name should be, because it certainly <laughs> it shouldn't be the Los Angeles Angels of right. whatever. Los I mean, Angeles it, Halos, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, they're in Anaheim. It's I, I always, and, you know, we'll end on this, but I always just, like, you know, the I understand that you're in the L.A. market, but the Dodgers are in Los Angeles, and you should represent the or people of Orange County. I mean, this is who's coming out to your games. This is, you know, who your fan base is. Right. And, Imagine the Kings being, like, the Bay Area Kings. It's yeah, like, well, exactly. Sacramento you could drive there. the Bay Area. Yeah. Right, but, yeah. yeah, if you got in your car <laughs> from the Bay Area, technically you could get to Sacramento. They might air the games there, but it's not, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's not a big deal, but to me it's like, hey, why are you doing this? Either way, light that baby up. What a great episode. And in the, while you're waiting for that to happen, please go like us and subscribe. Uh, it's really important. We would love five stars if you think this is a five-star podcast, or even if you don't. Just press five stars, and it really helps us out. And um, If you rank us, we'll invite you out to our first live taping. Yeah. Date to be announced. Never. But and and you might, you'll get a misspelled uh, invitation to Connor's right. wedding. <laughs> right. I'll handwrite a thank you note for your five-star rating and will not guarantee a correct spelling of anything <laughs> in the note. Uh, well, well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back uh, uh, at some point in the future soon. And uh, in the meantime, yeah, bye. <laughs>